Welcome to the DPM podcast, where we go beyond theory to give expert PM advice for leading better digital projects. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, founder of the Digital Project Manager. So client needs are maturing and the role of digital agencies is changing and evolving too. And as the website design and build process has become more commoditized, there's this growing need for agencies who can be more uh, than just a website partner, but can be a strategic and technical partner too, uh, to build not just websites and campaigns and landing pages. So in today's podcast, we're going to nerd out a bit on portal builds, what they are, how you build them, and some takeaways and lessons learned if you're going to embark on one of these projects. So keep listening if you want to get the lowdown on the evolution of digital agencies and a product development approach to client engagements. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Germond, and Rebecca is the Director of Client Services at FCV, and she's got a strong foundation in project management and media communications, and Rebecca is actually someone that I hired a few years ago, and uh, I actually remember, I remember your interview where I brought you in the room and uh and I was like yep sure I'll hire this girl and uh, I don't really remember what I asked you but I was like I don't even need to interview you I'm you're hired do you remember the interview I remember the interview I felt like I was I was uh grilled no I'm just kidding I'm kidding (laughs) I, I remember it really well because I remember the view from the office and that was what sold me I think on on FCV it wasn't me it was the view yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, so Rebecca for for those who are wondering kind of what you do every day what does what is director of client services about is it project management is it account management what does that mean for you right now yeah it's a bit of it's a bit of both plus um managing the actual PM team which is it's cool it's a it's a new role for me over the last year or so um and I don't get my hands as dirty with project projects as much anymore. There are a few that I won't let go of, um, but really I get to work directly with, um, with the PMs and make sure that, you know, they're able to deliver um, and, you know, give them the support they need. Uh, and as well, I, I manage uh, most of our clients. So I, so I have a pretty good, like an account manager relationship with them. And that's actually, um, I started in accounts before I became a producer project manager. So a little bit back to my roots, which is cool. Nice. And so, um, yeah, for those who are interested in kind of this role of managing a team of project managers, so like day in, day out, what does that look like? What, what, (laughs) how do you manage them? Because you can't be in the details of all their projects all the time. So when you're checking in with them, what do you what do you actually do? Yeah, that's great. So um, what I do is, for the most part, I just review a lot of work or deliverables that they want to send. So, for example, I will give them feedback on an SOW or a timeline. Um, if there's any ever like escalations, I get involved or I help um, kind of help the PMs navigate how to respond to any um, sticky situations. Uh, you know, I meet with the, them on a one-on-one basis, like weekly. Um, but then I also kind of connect over Slack and just make sure everybody feels supported on a day-to-day basis. Um, and then occasionally I'll come and join their like more important client meetings. Um, yeah. So it's just a little bit of, of that. And then as well, I'm, I, you know, I'm heavily involved in our, uh, business development process 
at FCV. And I also um, work on the day to day with, you know, how much are we actually going to invoice our clients? And, um, you know, are we making sure we're keeping track of our change management process enough and, and, and a lot of other things than just kind of the day in day out with the PMs as well. Yeah. So, I mean, tell us a bit about your story. So you said you, I mean, your background was in account management and actually I know you started off uh, your career in the ministry of labor. So how did you go from ministry of labor uh, to digital agency and account management to project management? What did that look like for you? Totally. When, so when I was in school, I, my aunt has a, um, like a temp agency. She would, she would place me with jobs where I was trying to find when I was trying to find the right place. And I knew I wanted to work in an agency. So I did get a placement with the ministry of labor and it was more like an admin job for, for the government, but it was, it was pretty cool. It made me learn a lot of ins and outs for the government, which actually helps me later on in my career because most of the projects that I worked on at my first agency and now a lot of the projects I'm working on now um, at FCV are government right. related. So that's pretty, it was, a, it was, it was helpful. Um, but then yeah, one time she got me placed at it at an agency um, manifest communications in Toronto. And I was only to do like a two week temp uh, front desk work while someone was on vacation. And they asked me to stay on for an internship, which is like what I was trying to nail anyways. Um, so I did that for three months and then they hired me on and I worked there for four years. And when I first started, I, I was in an account executive. So I was managing clients and, and less so digital projects. Like we slowly moved into that. Um, so after my first year, I became a producer and it would probably be about 60 percent digital but then I also got to work on radio and broadcast and some print stuff too which was pretty cool nice and um I mean tell me kind of we're still kind of in the the first quarter of the year like did from your like career perspective or or growth perspective we're talking today about portals and how that's kind of a bit of an evolution but have you got any kind of goals that you set yourself for the year yeah um, I don't actually, it's funny. I, I don't really want to have any specific career goals <laughs> this year. It sounds weird. I'm in my last year of my twenties. So I really just want to like live like a millennial. Do I have some travel goals. So that's kind of, um, that's kind of what's up for me. Um, but I really, um, in terms of career, like I've loved working on this, um, portal project and we've turned it into, um, like a product and we are constantly, you know, doing releases and, and trying to build on something. And I think it's really great. And I would love to do more work like that. So, hmm. yeah. Cool. And let's talk about, I mean, we talked, we talked about a bit about what your role is, um, in terms of what you do, but what are, what are the kind of challenges that you, uh, you know, maybe you're dealing with right now or, you know, what, what's, what's your biggest headache, uh, that you're trying to overcome, um, on a day-to-day -day basis or, or particularly now with a particular project or something? Yeah. I think on the, on a day-to-day -day basis for me, it's, it's, I'm used to kind of like babysitting in a project team environment. If you know what I mean? Like we all are as project managers, we have yeah. to kind of deal with a lot of egos and, and, or, you know, just different personality types. But now I think on the scale that it, where it's less projects and it's actually, you know, everyone throughout the organization has different needs and, 
Um, everyone has different priorities and just trying to juggle that with as well, making sure that the PMs like have what they need. Cause that's super important. Um, I find that's just a bit difficult. And then as well, you know, you get wrapped into things that you maybe don't think are such a big deal, like admin stuff or I, I don't know. So it's, it's just trying to, you know, keep, keep track of my own to-do list is, is a struggle yeah. these days. How, and how do you keep track of things? What, what does your to-do list look like? Have you got a system? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, uh, I do have, I use most of my to-do list in Evernote, but I, um, have, we've just added a new, um, like Slack integration called Workcast, um, which you can keep your to-do list in an actual Slack channel, um, and then assign things to them if you need. But you can also just like write a note to yourself in Slack and your to-do list is there and it'll give you a reminder about when things are due. Um, we're like really early on using it, but so far it's pretty cool. Um, and that's, and that's called Workcast? Work, Workcast, like W-O-R-K-A-S-T. Okay, Workcast, okay. Yeah. It's a bit of a funny name, Workcast. Definitely, definitely. But so far, <laughs> so good. So far, so good. Um, but yeah, I think um, other, like the, the problem is you don't get to your to-do list until either before 9 or after 5 p.m. That's how I feel because everyone, like 70% of my day is either meetings on the phone or responding to emails in Slack, which makes it really hard to be productive these days. Yeah. And so, I mean, what else is in your PM toolkit, <laughs> your, your new to-do list system, um, which is obviously helping you prioritize the really important stuff? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but how, uh, yeah, what else is in your toolkit? How do you manage projects? Um, so I've got quite a few tools and we've, I would say like flip back and forth on a few over the last couple of years where we work and now I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we've got. So I, like I said, I use Evernote. Um, we use Jira pretty, um, pretty seriously now. Um, so everybody, including our like UX and design, um, and all of our clients are in Jira, which makes it easier for us, um, because everything's at least in one spot and we can keep track yeah. of tickets. Um, we use Slack and, I uh, use that pretty religiously. Um, Microsoft Teams we're testing out instead of um, um, Skype for Business, so we're just using it in like in a conference line kind of setting for our meetings with clients, and it's it's been working out pretty well. Um, I use Merlin for uh, project scheduling. We used to use MS Project, but I just find we're only using like fifteen percent of its capabilities and. Um, so we keep a couple of MS project licenses floating around just in case a client needs it. And then, yeah, Spotify, that's definitely in my toolkit. <laughs> Need that. And uh, I guess Outlook, although email is the bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> so apart from Workcast, is there any, are there any other tools that you've um, come across recently or things that are kind of revolutionized the way that you manage projects? Oh, um, not really. I think the way that we've now used Jira as like actually we're integrating, um, like we're using integrations in our Slack channel. So if a ticket is updated, the status has changed. If a client um, comments on it, obviously Jira sends you like 40 emails a minute about, you know, when something is updated. So this is like yeah. only the key things are sent to the Slack channel. So, you know, um, if like if, if 
uh, someone's made a comment on a ticket. So that's really made it easy because you, because no one's reading those uh, Jira emails. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, MS Teams is, is actually pretty cool because most of our clients didn't want to use video, but now there's like a lot of them that have taken it on from, from when we've moved over to MS Teams. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk about um, your uh, your post, your case study, the first case study we have ever published. So congratulations, Rebecca. Well, thank um, you. But let's talk about a portal. Mm-hmm. And is a portal just a website or is it different? <laughs> and if it is different, why and how is it different? So for me, I think portals are pretty complex uh, because they're generally, generally tailored to a lot of different users, um, which all of those different users have may have many actions or features or journeys for each. Um, and for, for this particular portal, there was, um, three different user levels, uh, that we needed to, to keep in mind and, and, and how they would, um, impact one another, um, was something, uh, that I think we underestimated at first. Um, so I, I think for portals in general, um, they can get pretty complex just because of, um, you know, all of the different ins and outs that uh, may not be something that you would just get on a regular website if you just hit it and check out the homepage. So. Okay. So it's what we're talking about is something where there's kind of richer interactivity in terms of role-based uh, kind of functionality that is able either enabled or disabled, depending on what you're doing yeah, uh, in, in the portal. Exactly. And for us, um, for, for our portal in particular, unless you had a, a login, you're not getting much from the homepage. So, um, it's a, li- there's some barriers in place and it's not necessarily easy to onboard new, new clients into the portal. Um, there's a lot of things to keep in mind, um, that just don't apply to a regular website. Interesting. So, so we're not talking so in abstract. So tell us, give us kind of a brief overview of the functionality of what this portal is. Perfect. So, um, so this portal, basically our client, I'll give you a little background. They, um, they're an electronics retailer and they have, um, B2B clients. So businesses who like to order, um, products from them in bulk, but prior to having any portal environment, um, they were basically picking up the phone and calling their account manager and placing an order like really, really, really manually. Um, and it was giving everybody headaches. It was giving the clients headaches because no one wants to pick up the phone in, anymore. Um, so what they were looking for was some sort of portal where people can log in. Um, people can uh, see a catalog of products that's been assigned to them and um, only be able to shop from from those products as well. Um, there's a complicated discount mechanism applied on them because I, if we didn't have the portal and we didn't have this discount, people could just go shop at their consumer website and buy what they needed because they're buying in bulk. They're getting um, pretty tailored discounts based on, you know, how much they buy and, and what they do. So that's one aspect. Then we also have a checkout. We have, um, a dashboard where people can see their most frequently ordered products. Um, they can see, um, you know, open orders that they have, anything that's, um, you know, been placed in the last 30 days. There's some, uh, cool tools on the dashboard to help, um, make, you know, them see what, what's going on in, in their, in their world on the portal. And then as well, 
there's a few different user levels within who can just shop. So um, most of the clients can go in and place an order, but then you would need a client admin to approve it depending on their organization. So um, that's before an order goes through, um, people need to be able to, um, you know, approve it or, or let them know, sorry, you're exceeding our budget. So, you know, we, we can't put this order through. So there's a lot of ins and outs there as well. Interesting. So essentially this is, say I'm uh, yeah, a large organization, I'm TELUS, and I want to order 2,000 new monitors or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just log into the system, buy my monitors, but then there's a approval checkout process thing as well. Um, and then I can kind of track my order. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of e-commerce at scale. Yep, exactly, exactly. Cool. And so um, in the post, you talked a bit about, um, you know, using some interesting tech. And I'm wondering if you can give us um, the Coles notes on, you know, the tech stack, the architecture, and what the solution is, like how you actually built this, um, like what made it interesting? Cool, yeah. Um, Definitely our devs could speak to it a little bit better, but I can give us a little high overview. (laughs) The PM Um, version. Yeah. Um, So we're using, what we're doing is we're using .NET Core to power microservices. And then we use React on the front end to actually like provide the interfaces of that, uh, of, of those microservices. So basically what we mean is, um, those microservices are just endpoints. So you can, reuse them in any way you want. So for example, you're getting data from, uh, you know, the volume of orders just because we have that information. That's how we can spit it out on the dashboard or we can use, we can manipulate this data in many, many different ways, which is really cool. Um, and then obviously um, React is really exciting for uh, our front end developers and uh, they, they really liked working on it. Um, and when we used React, we com- uh, created a component library that we could leverage. Um, so different areas of the site. So we didn't have to constantly rebuild the same components. Um, and as well, we wanted to like provide a really consistent look and feel throughout the site and something that was still on brand to them um, and, you know, didn't feel like, too much of a departure from their consumer website. Cool. So in terms of, so there is no CMS. Um, and so mm-hmm. how was that process of, so within .NET you've created um, like the functionality for, for I guess the, the retailer to be able to add products and edit products. And how is, is there a CMS for that side of it? How does that no. work? And what the, the, the beautiful thing is all of the product, uh, information or product data is coming from a client's provided API that they s- use on their consumer website. So all of that product information is updated like all the time. So we have a like a script or something that is running once a day to just make sure that we're getting the most um, up-to-date price and the most in- up-to-date um, product information on specs and, and that kind of stuff as well. So it's it's a completely automated process when it comes to the um, ad- adding a new product, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Cool. So um, this was, uh, you know, product development, building out a portal. That was something new. So tell me how you planned out the project or the product development. What was your kind of process for, for trying to plan out this build? Yeah, so definitely we took an MVP approach, like minimum viable product, um, which worked and didn't because I feel like as the project went on, <laughs> what became 
the MVP kept growing. So um, <laughs> it wasn't really minimum at all. But um, but at, at the start and when we really like planned out the timeline and the, the estimate, the MVP approach um, helped us quite a bit. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, because we had a pretty defined backlog, uh, we jumped right into development sprints. We didn't take it uh, too long of a requirements gathering with this project. Um, what we would do was we would tackle the requirements in a sprint planning meeting um, for the features that we were going to, um, uh, you know, attempt to complete during that sprint. Okay. So in terms of like the MVP, mm-hmm. was there a budget and a, and a deadline for the MVP or how, I mean, if you're just, you've got a backlog of stuff to build, um, how are you working out uh, you know, what's within budget and what's out the budget? Like wh- how, at what point did you define the kind of budget for that? Cause I think that's one of the yeah. big challenges here. It was, it really was because, and I think the the hard thing with working agile in an agency setting is the clients want to see a price for everything. And true agile, it's like maybe a cost per sprint model. Um, and at the end of a sprint, you might not have a complete feature. So the way we had to kind of attempt to tackle the estimate was give them more of like an a la carte per feature. So they knew um, exactly how much uh, a specific feature would cost so they could prioritize them themselves if needed. Um, but some of those features were dependent on others. So um, once we kind of figured exactly what came in the MVP, that's how we determined the cost and exactly what we had to do um, in order for, you know, all of those dependencies to kind of work out as well. Um, and then based on that cost by a la carte pricing, um, we tried to like bulk it up a bit so it could work in a sprint model. Um, and we knew we had five months to complete the project with um, a month of UAT at the end. So, uh, and I think we did like two weeks of just environment setup and that kind of thing. So I think we had like five or six, no, six or seven sprints total. Okay. So uh, I know one of the things that you mentioned in the, in the case study is that you massively underestimated some of the mandatory features um but he said yeah. that's what made it fun so yeah. i uh what i'm reading in between the lines and uh you did this a la carte um but you underestimated some of those a la carte mm-hmm. items mm-hmm. so how and why were they underestimated do you think um so i think the biggest one that we underestimated was the actual catalog building and then applying the discount on top. For us, we were like, oh, yeah, we're just adding a discount to, you know, specific products. But when you get into the nitty gritty of their API and all of the different um, categories of products they have, all the different facets, um, that logic coupled with a discount on top of it got really, really, really complicated. And then there was another layer to it where they wanted to actually exclude some products. So for example, um, you know, Apple, they didn't make a huge markup on it, so they would never want to discount an Apple product. So we had to make sure that if they said exclude brand Apple from this, then you would only surface products with these like characteristics and not Apple plus add the discount on top. So it got really, really com- confusing and complicated. And 
Unfortunately, with this client, it was more of a fixed price engagement. So where, where we were able to make our money back at, or, or, you know, get, gather, get time as well was with a lot of change requests that they added along the way, or, um, even change requests to features that were included in the a la carte. So we did, you know, we did our best when needed to keep, keep on top of that change management project product, uh, process. Sorry. But when it comes to just, ourselves underestimating it's really hard to kind of go back and to the client and say sorry we just didn't exactly do our job right so yeah I'm, i mean part of that though is the fact that the requirements i mean it sounds like you know some of the complexity around some of the discounting might not have been clear right from the start right exactly and i think when we did those like the initial requirements the discount engine or whatever it was we were building was supposed to be a lot less um involved um yeah so it just got a little bit hairy once we dug in a little bit more and i think this is often the case though with more agile projects right we're the whole the whole point of running a project in a more agile manner is that it you know it suits a scenario when hey you know things aren't entirely black and white mm-hmm. um but then it needs a kind of cost model to reflect that mm-hmm. but obviously here you're working with a fixed price and unclear requirements so based on what you know now how would you plan it differently next time yeah i think um i i feel like mo i think we did a good job with the requirements that we had and i i think what i'd like to attempt with this client and we're we're getting we, we have an awesome working relationship now and we've um, he, he gets it and he's really just an extension of our team, which makes things like super, super helpful. So we're trying to sell things in a more cost per sprint model where we're not really getting there. Um, but we are able to, um, we have a lot of ability to like wiggle with the timeline with him and, and he's just really understanding and which is great. But, you know, if we were to start this over again next time, I think, um, I think maybe even if we could give them like a rough ballpark at the beginning, because what they need is they need to be able to get some sort of number approved, right? Yeah. So if you yeah. give them a good range and then during each sprint, we could more like if you, uh, estimate what we're going to tackle in that sprint and kind of give them a price per sprint, depending on how many t- team members we needed and what we were hoping to get done, that might be better. Um, but overall, like I, I, wouldn't change much about how we operated on the team. I liked how lean we were. I liked how um, few of us there was. And it gets difficult if there's a lot of people involved on the client side. And it was really just him and and the appropriate stakeholder that needed to be involved for whatever feature we were tackling in the sprint. So that was very cool as well. Cool. And so, I mean, you talk about you. You mean you're talking about a small team there, and that was one of the things that worked well. And in mm-hmm. your post, you talk about this hybrid, agile approach to development and design. Can you tell me what that actually looked like? Like yeah. in terms of who was who was on the team. This is a small team, uh, but how did you make that design development thing work? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I think in agency setting in general, it's really, really difficult to go full agile. Like at least I, I find it is because clients are not really open to paying for a team for five months straight. Like they want, they want to know what the feature is going to cost. Not, they're not really selling a team. It's hard to kind of change that perspective. If you're in house and you're building your own product, 
um, and you have dedicated people to be involved, you know, 24, like whatever, eight hours a day, five days a week, then it's a little bit different. But when you have multiple projects um, involved, it's really, really, really hard to work um, in agile. Um, but what our, uh, what our team looked like and how we kind of had a hybrid approach, we had um, uh, two back end, two front end, uh, a halftime UX and um, a designer who probably came in like once in a while just to vet, vet our creative um, or our features and, right. uh, and then one QA, which would also generally be working halftime during the sprint, like 50% uh, dedicated. Um, we didn't use a BA, which I, I, I still think is okay. I don't think it was really to our detriment because we knew what we were building. Um, and I don't think really a BA would have been able to tell us the ins and outs of like their API or anything like that. Like, I don't think um, that would have helped us with actually the estimation process. So I think um, that, that helped us. Um, and we didn't have a strategist involved because the product was really cut and dry and the client had, uh, you know, a pretty well-defined vision for the MVP. Um, and there was like a strong use case behind it, of course. Um, so that was kind of the team. Oh, and me, of course. Yeah. And then um, how we kind of approached it. Yeah. We had, um, we didn't, because we were starting from scratch, we had no components already built for this. We basically just had like brand guideline to go for, use to go off of for anything that they wanted and then the features. So we had design and UX actually working a sprint above, like um, in front ahead. of, yeah. ahead of the, uh, the, the dev team, which I think in a true agile, like you wouldn't really get that. You would try and deliver a feature together. Um, but the client had never seen anything we'd ever done before. So we really needed to give them a little bit of a head start to make sure that, you know, we were on the right track with look and feel and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then we used that first sprint where um, design and UX were working ahead for our environment setup and um, anything that we needed to get because it was a brand new um, deployment pipeline we needed and and all of these kinds of um, project setup things that the, the devs needed to tackle. So um, on the other hand, our client's organization does work agile or they try to internally. So it wasn't like hard for them to grasp and they really enjoyed the working style. Um, and then when it came to, you know, all of the agile ceremonies, like that stuff that we still tackled for sure. Um, things like uh, scrums, mid sprint reviews, um, demos, retrospectives. We all took it pretty seriously and the, and the client joined all or most of them. Nice. I mean, and, and let's talk about the client who, so the great thing about this scenario was that the client, I mean, they were the product manager, right? So um, you didn't have a whole bunch of stakeholders. You, you had a single stakeholder, which was cool. And you mentioned they were great, but also you said in your post that, you know, the client dreamt up some new features and tasks along the way. Um, so when you're working with this fixed budget uh, but an agile approach where it's totally fair for them to dream up new features and tasks. Um, how did you manage that? Uh, yeah, it was definitely difficult. But um, anytime he would dream up a new feature, he would give us, you know, he would understand that it's a CR and that we needed to quote on it. So um, the problem was it made it pretty difficult to stop work from what you're doing on the sprint and get them an estimate because, 
like they need they need the estimate in order to approve the feature. Um, so yeah, it made, made things a little interesting. But the client in general, yeah, he was the, the main product owner, I would say, and he um, his team gave him like full autonomy of how um, to to run the project and and work on it. Um, I think that they were planning it for quite some time before we came on board. And it was really good that they brought us in when they did, because we were able to give them feedback and ideas on new features and things that they hadn't really considered. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he, he, he definitely had some, some fun features to, to bring to the table in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but they were all things that were like super, super important. For example, um, I think prior to the build, they were still anticipating to manually onboard these these clients. So, you know, send them a PDF with like um, information on signing up and that kind of stuff. So what we decided probably after the third sprint was we wanted to do some sort of like setup wizard so people could actually come in, you know, get a login and password from from an email that we send them, they can come on, reset their password. They can download all of the forms that they need needed to fill out um, and re-upload them to the system. Um, it made it a little bit easier for their team to manage. So, although yeah, we weren't really anticipating it, it it made the the overall product like pretty awesome. That's cool. And and you talked about like obviously you know the, the some of the lessons learned. So you one of the things you said was you know, keep your team engaged and your client involved. It sounds like the client was really involved, but mm-hmm. how, I mean, what would your tips be for kind of maintaining and, and driving that engagement in the first place? Yeah, I think for us as well, like the whole working style, the way we've attempted this is kind of new for for FCV because a lot of our clients are legacy clients or government clients. And they, you know, they've been working with us for years and years and years, but they are stuck in their ways. So the way we got our client engaged and involved, um, you know, actually paid off really well because we saw that, you know, clients actually want to be involved like this to this level. So um, it was really interesting. And also we wanted him to be engaged because we wanted there to be a phase two of this project. Like we really wanted, you know, to continue this. We saw that it's not just a website like that has a uh, you know, an end at the at the end of its life cycle. This is a living, breathing thing. So, um, keeping him engaged that way was good. Keeping the the team engaged, like they really wanted to work on this because they got to pick their their tech stack. They got yeah. to do something yeah. new. They got to, um, you know, pick their own tools. They also enjoyed having a platform to speak to the client, which some people wouldn't. It depends on your team, but you know, we've got our client in Slack. He's able to, you know, just bounce ideas off, you know, our front end developer or whoever needs to be there. So it, it works well. And I think they're engaged that way because they're building something they actually really, really care about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, w- one of the things you talked about was, um, uh, in terms of your lessons learned were uh, shedding processes you don't need, but embracing the ones you do. And you talked about the fact that one of the benefits of the project was, you know, the, the refinement it had on project process in the agency. So, mm-hmm. Can you tell me about any kind of process that you dropped or um, any of that kind of refinement that you were able to integrate then back into other projects? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think after our second sprint retrospective, we decided against doing them. We're like, all right, we know what we're doing well and what we're not. 
you know, taking the time to, to do this now isn't really helping. It's just pulling time away from dev, which is not what we wanted. And as well, it's like, because our client was so involved, he could give us that feedback throughout if, if something wasn't working for him or we should adapt our process or, or think about something for, for the next sprint. So that one is something that we really, we, we shedded pretty early. Um, also, it was really difficult for us to do scrums because half of our team was in Toronto and half of them are in Vancouver. So it makes things, right. it makes things hard. Um, but we really tried to honor the fact that, you know, to unblock people, it's better to just jump on a 15 minute scrum um, then try and do it via Slack for an hour. So, um, okay. So, so you, so you just had a random scrums were not like a, a daily 9am, 12pm ceremony. They were just ad hoc. Uh, so we did, we did have like nine, it was, yeah, nine thirty, and we, uh, tried to make it work. But, um, once we got into a groove, then it would just be ad hoc or, um, you know, yeah, just jumping jumping into Slack and asking some questions. We we probably kept it up for like three sprints, doing our scrums daily. Um, but then we went to either every other day or um, yeah, via Slack. Cool. And is there any kind of process that you tried dropping because you're like, hey, this isn't we don't need this, but then you added back in after realizing that oh, that was a bad idea. Um. Not really, but I know like one of the processes that we wish we got, like just general that we wish we got involved on sooner was having QA. Um, we really didn't have anything until the third sprint that was like ready for QA. And we probably should have um, got that started a little bit sooner. Um, and I just, I remember like there was a couple demos that were just working to, to like five minutes before and committed some code. And you're like just hoping it sticks and hoping it works. So <sighs> Um, yeah, that, that was, we were working like cowboys at the end of it, but it was really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us. Thank you. Anytime. Pleasure. So, um, if you're interested in portal builds, check out the case study, uh, that Rebecca has written up. There's a load of information in there that you might find helpful. And, uh, if you want to chat about portal builds, um, well, head as well to our Slack team. Go to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash Slack and you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on there about all things digital PM. Um, I'd also like just to say, if you enjoyed today's show, please go to Apple Podcasts, uh, formerly known as iTunes, or you can go there and leave a review. Uh, but we'd really love your feedback and uh, ratings and reviews are really helpful and it'll help us tailor the show. But until next time, thanks for listening.